Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21? 2 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to be looking at verses 15 and following. There was war again with the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbesh Banan, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, who was armed with a new sword, fought to kill David. But Abayash, son of Zeruah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. And the David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And after this was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Sebekiah, the Hushite, struck down Saph, one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jer or Gim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite. The shaft whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And he taunted Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shemai, David's brother, descendant from the giants in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and the hand of his servants. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we are in a section of scripture where there's a lot of battles, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of death. And Father, it reminds us of the um, brokenness of the world that we live in, where there is sin and there's suffering and there's death. I thank you for the fact that you have an anointed king. We look at King David here, Father, but King David is looking for us forward to his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, your truly anointed one. Lord, as you preserve David in battle, I pray that you would help us to see how you preserve us through your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts today. Open your word today. Change our lives today. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. So we are, um, for those of you that are new, we have been uh, spending the last number of months in the life of David. And we've been looking through... um, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we've been looking at David's life in each one of those books. And now we come to the last several chapters in 2 Samuel. And if you weren't here last week, we had talked about the fact that it almost seems like it's an appendix at the end of David's life. And as David 
um, as the writer to Second uh, Samuel is giving us a series of stories that are telling us a story, and they, they seem to be working in concentric circles. Uh, last week, we looked at chapters 21, the beginning of chapter 21, and then most of chapter 24, actually all of it, and there were two basic narratives that were there. And those two narratives were that there is sin in the world, and there are great consequences that come from sin. And David, in one sense, was shown to be the judge over Israel and God's judge as he dealt with sin that came from Saul. In the second scene, David is the one that is actually bringing about the sin that was affecting Israel, and David then offers a sacrifice, and he symbolizes the priesthood as David the king, David acting as a prophet or judge, and David acting as a priest. That was the larger circle last week. Now I come to the inner circle middle circle, and this is two narratives of David's mighty men, two lists of men, a list in chapter 21, and then we're going to look at chapter 23. And what it's coming to is to talk about the fact that King David and all the exploits and all the things that he did, he did it with somebody at his side. There was a man at his side that helped him in battle. That is so important. We need to learn from that. These names are so important. These people are so important because they were side by side with David as he was going through battle. The most inner circle will be next week, and Pastor Doug will uh, close out our series, Lord willing, on David's life, talking about this great psalm, uh, psalm of David and songs of David and the work that he did. But today we're in that middle circle, the two list, and we have a list of warriors that are here. And as I read this section, you saw that David's life is, is hanging in the balance right now. David is now in battle. And I, I, I almost see what uh, Hollywood would do as they create the scenarios. You listen to some of these war stories. It's just amazing. I don't know how many we have here that have served in our military or been at war. I, I can't even imagine what you've gone through. And David's men here are in battle over and over again. And And in this first scene, what we see is that David is in battle. And David is fighting the Philistines that are around him, the enemies that are around him. And David, the anointed king of God, is there. And he's growing weary. We see that here in verse um, 15. David is growing weary. He's becoming exhausted. He's becoming vulnerable. He's pinned down right now in the fight. And as this fight is coming, you can see that he is weakening. And this, this, this man, Ishbeth Benob, sees David weakening. I, I like the Civil War. Uh, I study the Civil War. The Civil War that happened in our inner United States. And to be honest, as you look at some of those battles that occurred and you read the stories of how those men fought in those battles, you know, shoulder to shoulder, walking towards cannon fire and cannons would blow them apart and they'd close ranks and walk again. The, the heroism on both sides, regardless of whether I agree with the side or not, the heroism that was there in those battles, as you're seeing a fallen brother and you continue to march towards your goal, in the Civil War, there were several times that heavy, the big leader, um, Robert E. Lee, was in the sights of a Union soldier, missed him. Abraham Lincoln was in the sights of a soldier, they missed. 
Ulysses S. Grant was in the sights of that soldier, missed. In fact, one of the soldiers on the south, Stonewall Jackson, who died in battle, friendly fire, was probably part of the reason why the Union won the, won the war. If you take out the leader, you can have a way to bring down the troops. And Ishbet Benob had David in his sights. And he has this weapon. I mean, it talks about a spear that weighed 300 shekels. That's seven pounds in weight. And he was armed with a new sword. Not that it, it was a brand new sword, but it was a special weapon. This, this guy was well-armed. He was imposing. He had this special weapon in his hand, and he is taking sight at killing David. He figures if I can kill this guy, I can get the whole group. But what he did not realize is that David was God's anointed. God had put his hand on David, and nothing was going to happen to David Outside of God's sovereign plan. That jumps out at me in this passage. That as David, as God's anointed, has been protected. And what we see Abishai come in, verse 17. Abishai comes in, and what he, he's like a war hero. He comes out of nowhere. You know, you can see the drama. What, what would Holly do, Hollywood would do with this? Now, David is getting ready to get killed, and Abishai comes in. And at the last second, he protects the king. He won the victory. A mighty man of David. Well, there was another guy, Sebekai, in verse 18. Um, he's fighting off this huge giant. And, and then we have another one, Elhanan, in verse 819. He's fighting off another Goliath, apparently. Well, I'm not going to get into that. There's a lot of questions of who this was. And then there's this guy with six fingers and six toes. And it points me to the fact this. There are always enemies of God. In this, we have an enemy of God, Ishbesh Benob. We have one guy with six fingers and six, hand, uh, six toes. We have another guy who's a giant. There are always enemies of God in this world. Do not be discouraged. One of these enemies, though, jumps out at me. Look at verse um, 21. One of these enemies, really, I mean, you're going against God and his people, but this enemy is, well, he's bad. Verse 21, and when he taunted Israel, the word taunt in verse 21 means to mock, to deride, to put into derision, to, to, um, to as one pastor said, and I liked it, he's trash-talking the Lord, you know, using our modern language. As this guy is trash-talking God's people, he is, in essence, trash-talking the Lord. You're always going to have enemies. And this guy got what every person that raises their fist against God is going to get. He got what he got expected. On that day, he was held for account. He died. I want you to see that God has his anointed people. He had his anointed person, David. He had laid his anointing upon David, and David would not die until God had ordained for it to occur. But David had his enemies, enemies that surrounded him. 
vile enemies that were looking to take his life. But the thing that jumps out at me is this. Who protected David? Some mighty men. Some mighty men. Go back to verse uh, 17. The end of verse 17 is interesting. They said, And David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us in battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. I love that phrase. It's the only time in the Old Testament that this expression is here in the Old Testament. Only time. A lamp guides you in the darkness. A lamp, the phrase in the Old Testament, takes on the idea of life or prosperity. These men said, I will die to protect you because you are the lamp of Israel. You are the light of Israel. You are our ultimate leader. You are our anointed king. God has his anointed king. God has his enemies. But the third thing I want you to keep in mind, God has his awesome purpose. God has his awesome purpose. See, God has an anointed king, and there are always going to be aggressive enemies of God, but there's an awesome purpose that God has, that God is sovereign over all. It was not by mistake that David was on that field and Ishbesh Benob saw him. It was not by mistake. And it was not by mistake that his man came in at the right time to save David's life. I don't know what struggle you are going through, but I want you to know that the sovereign God of this universe is in absolute and total control of everything that comes at you. And any suffering that you go through, God wants to use that suffering for his honor and for his glory and for your good to build up your faith. Jesus is going to win the victory. He already has. God is going to win his victory because he promised David that, David, you're going to be on my throne as my anointed king, and nothing but nothing is going to keep that from happening. God's word is going to be fulfilled. The kingdom is going to go through the line of David. God had promised it. It is going to happen. God had promised it through Isaiah. God had promised it through Ezekiel. God had promised it through Jeremiah. God had promised that your forerunner, there is going to be a king on the throne forever. That gives me such great hope. In 1 John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. It says this in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But listen to this. For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That Jesus Christ came here, there is an anointed king, there are aggressive enemies who are being fueled by the devil, and God is looking to conquer him, and he will. He already has. So I want you to know that God has a sovereign purpose in your life. Turn with me to chapter 23. His list, as we remember, we have these two inner circles, and these two inner circles, chapter 21 and then chapter 23, are the two parts of the inner circle. So this is the second part of David's mighty men. And what we see here is, first, I believe, that God is a God who is saving power. God is a God of saving power. 
I want you to know that God is the only one that saves, the only one that does. He is the only one that is here that can conquer your greatest issues. As David is fighting these battles, verse 8 of chapter 23, these are the names of the men whom David had. Joab, Bathshebeth, a Tachyomite, who's the chief of his three, he wielded a spear, and this dude killed 800 men at one time. God can save. Verse 9. And next to him, well, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahoi, who was with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there at battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines, verse 10, until his hand grew weary and his hand clung to his sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Oh, think about Eliezer. Eliezer is in battle, and his hand has now gotten so fused. His hand has gotten fused to his sword, his sword that he's been using, this weapon, all day long, and now he can't even get his hand off. Notice the progression in verse 10. I find it interesting. It says that his hand clung to the sword... The Lord gave him victory, and then others came alongside him. I think that's important for us. Think about that. As we cling to our sword, his very word. And as I cling to the sword, what is God going to do? He's the one that's going to empower and bring victory. And then as I cling to the sword, and he brings me victory, what does he do? He brings others along with me to be with me. Amazing battle plan. But Eliezer is not the only one. We've got Shema here. Shema, he was fighting the Philistines, an enemy, at, together at Lehi, verse 11, and there was a plot of full of lentils or barley, and the men fled from the Philistines, and he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck it down the Philistines. I guess the thing I first want you to know is this, that God is the one that saves. The saving power to knock down 800 men or to fight this battle is coming through the Lord. And what God did through these three men was he brought about a physical victory. He saved David and he saved Israel in a physical victory, but the same sovereign God can save you in a spiritual victory. He wants to bring you to faith in Christ. He wants to deepen your faith in Christ if you know him. Step number one is that God is a God of saving power. The second thing that jumps out at me is that God is a God of sovereign power. Sovereign power. I don't know if you noticed it in verse 10, but I said that his hand clung to the sword. And then what did I say? The Lord brought about the victory. That same line is used here at the end of verse 12. The Lord worked a great victory. See, God is a saving power, but God is the sovereign power at work. These men did miraculous, incredible things, but they were fueled by the power of God to do these things. 
And David was preserved only because of the sovereign power of God, the saving power of God, the sovereign power of God. That speaks to me that, that God, there is nothing in this world that I ever have to fear. One of the um, Civil War soldiers said this, that he was as comfortable on the battlefield as he was in his own bed because he knew that God had his life in his hands. It's interesting that that soldier was taken down by friendly fire. God sovereignly had ordained that he wasn't going to die in that crazy battle. He was actually a guy by friendly fire. God's sovereign power should give you comfort as you think about how your families could be used for the glory of God. God's sovereign power should be at work within you as you step forward in faith, armed with the good news of the gospel, that you should be enlivened to believe that God can do amazing things in and through you. In Ephesians, it says he could do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. The saving power of God, the sovereign power of God leads me to the serving passion of God. It's a crazy story here in verse 13. It says that three of the 30 men, 30 chief men, went down and came to the harvest time at David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines were encamped at the valley of Rephraim, and David was there in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me a water to drink from the well at Bethlehem, That is by the gate. And then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew the water out of the well at Bethlehem that was by the gate and then carried it and brought it back to David. I want you to think. There are some of you in this congregation, I won't name you, but there's some of you in this congregation that have happened over the years um, where I may have just said something like, you know what, I'm thirsty. Boom. Boom glasses right there. You know what? Uh, You know, I don't know if I could eat that gluten-free, right? Don't know if I could eat that. What do they have? They bring something else to serve me. They're just, I'm just saying it out loud, and then all of a sudden, they're there to serve. You know who you are. Those are David-type people. I mean, David's men type people, they heard David just sitting back. It was no command. He's just sitting there longing for a glass of water from the well in Bethlehem. And they, in essence, said, your wish is my what? Command. This is Pastor Edmund Clowney. He, um, he talked about the devotion that these men showed. He called it said love. He said the loyalty that they had to their people, but the loyalty that they had to their king. He wasn't even on the throne yet, possibly. I don't know which time this is, whether it's Adullam in in 1 Samuel or the Adullam in 2 Samuel. If he was in 2 Samuel, he was close to becoming king. But the reality is this. His men heard him, and they said, I am going to try to do this for you. You know, said love is about loyalty. It's about devotion. It's about serving. It's about sacrifice. And what these men were willing to do was they were willing to risk their life for their king. It's pretty cool. 
Every church needs that type of person. As I sit out here and look at your faces, I need you to think about this, that every church needs somebody that has an open ear to hearing that somebody has a need or that somebody has a struggle. See, these men overheard David. David wasn't making a command. He was just talking out loud, and they heard him, and they wanted to fulfill his desire. We live in a, such a self-absorbed society. We come in and come out, and we don't ever think about serving. See, the saving God, the sovereign God, wants to give you a serving passion. What Jesus Christ did for you and for me is he came here to serve us. One of the most beautiful things that he did was on the night he was betrayed, he took water and he filled a basin and he washed the disciples' feet. The suffering servant served his people. He even served Judas. And we have a hard time serving one another. Well, David's men didn't have a hard time serving him. They ran and they went. I can't even imagine what Hollywood would have done with that. They fought through. Now, this is not easy. This is not just going to our little kitchen in the back. They are fighting through Philistines and they are killing Philistines to get water. And some of the guys are protecting the well and somebody else is drawing out this water. And they're drawing out this water for David. And they bring this pitcher to David. And it's right there. Here, king. This is for you. What devotion? What did David do? Verse 16. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. He took the pitcher and he poured it out on the ground. What would you have done? I just risked my life to get you that cup of water. It would almost be like the person that gave me water, and I said, where's the ice? I mean, it's like. That's what we think, but that's not what David was doing. David looked at the devotion of these men. He says, if I drink this, it would be almost like I was drinking your blood. I can't do that. And 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 what gave you the ability to fight off those Philistines to get that water was the sovereign power of God. So what we're going to do today, boys, we're going to worship our creator. We're going to pour this out on the ground. And what David did was he represented humble leadership. What David did was he represented their sacrifice, and he says, I can't do this. But it points me back to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two stories that it points me to with Jesus Christ. When Jesus was hanging on a cross, and do you remember Jesus said, I what? I thirst. Was there anybody fighting the enemies around to give Jesus something to drink? No. No, there weren't. It reminds me hours before that when Jesus was performing the first Lord's Supper. And he says, I'm giving you a cup of the new covenant in my what? Blood. You remember David said, I can't drink this because it would be like almost drinking your blood. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So David's response is that I can't take this. 
Jesus' response, no one came to him to feel his thirst. David wants to say, serve one another. What happens if this church became a church where we accept one another? Where we're compassionate to one another? Where we're devoted to one another? Where we forgive one another? Where we care about one another? Where we're eager to be side by side with one another? Doing life together? See, the saving God is a sovereign God, but he has a serving passion. He has served you, now he wants you to serve one another. The last thing I find is this. The saving God, the sovereign God, the serving passion, but you have a special place. Look at verse 18. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Jeruiah, he's a chief among the 30. He wielded his weapon against 300 men and killed them. Or about verse 20, and Benaiah, Benaiah was, I like this phrase, a doer of great deeds. He was skilled, he was brave, he was devoted. Or look at verse 24. Asiel, Elahanan, Shema, Elika, Halez, Ira, Abiezer, Mabumai, Zalman, Maharai, Heleb, Ittai, Benaiah, Haidai, Abba'abon, Asmaveth, Ilaba, the sons of Jason, Jonathan, Shammah, Ihaim, Eliphat, Eliam, Hezro, Parah, Ingal, Benai, Zelek, Narahai, Ira, Jareb, Ergarib, and Uriah the Hittite. Can't even pronounce most of those names, right? I thought about not reading them. But you know what? I want you to know that God knows your name. I want you to know that God knows you. I want you to know that God knows everything about you. The world may say that you're insignificant, that you're nothing. Maybe you're going to go to school tomorrow and you think you're a nobody, that nobody sees you. Maybe you'll go to work and that nobody cares. Maybe you're in a family where you don't feel loved, where you don't feel accepted. Maybe you're in a lonely place, a sad place. Maybe that's you right now, feeling deeply insecure, and I want you to know that God knows your name. You are special. Before this world was ever created, he had planned you. If this was the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel 22, if you remember, those people were discontented, depressed, in debt. These were the ragtag people that would become David's mighty men. What can God do if he could take a ragtag group like that? What can he do with you and me? So I end with this. David, God has his, his sovereign. 
his anointed king. I want you to know that there are always aggressive enemies of God in this world. They're always going to be. I want you to know that God has an awesome purpose. An awesome purpose for what everything that comes into your life he has an awesome purpose for. And one of the purposes is his saving power. The second thing is his sovereign power. Third, he wants to give you a serving passion. And fourth, he wants to give you a special place in his family. There's this hymn that has been going through my head as I've been reading this. And the title I gave the message was A Right Man on Our Side. Maybe you'll catch it as I read this hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulworth never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe, his craft and power great, and armed with cruel hate like those aggressive enemies of David. We have aggressive enemies out in the world. Armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? If David was waiting in only his own strength, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man. And he had Abishai and um, Zebekai and Elanhan and Jonathan and Johesh Bashebeth and Eliezer and Shammah and the three that got his water and Abishai and Benai. These are great men were not the right man, not those men. Those were simply instruments of the right man. The right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, doth ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, the sovereign, almighty God is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. The Lord brought about the victory. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear because God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Like Eliezer holding on to that sword and not letting it go. I need you to hold on to the word and not let it go. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. And that word above all earthly power, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours. And through him who with us sided, he's on my side. Let goods and kindred grow, go. This mortal life also, the body, they may kill. David, I'm going to try to get you that water. I may die doing it. The body they may kill, God's truth, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. David's earthly life came to an end. But David's greater son died and rose again, and he lives forevermore. He fights with you if you're on his team. If you're not, I pray today would be the day that you would trust him. Bow your knee to him. Worship him. 
honor God's anointed king. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. That you would remind us of the fact that your anointed king, not King David, the truly anointed king, your king Jesus, reigns and rules today. Father, there are so many aggressive enemies of Christ, and if we are in Christ, they are going to be fighting us. But Father, 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 remind us that you have an awesome purpose. You have saving power. You have sovereign power. You want to serve passionately through us. And we are significant, special in your eyes because of what your son has done for us. Help us never to forget that. And help us to glory in your son. In Jesus' name, amen.